0: Welcome to Voices of Experience, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm your host, technology strategist and futurist, Crystal Washington. In today's episode, Serious Business, Sean Rhodes and Max Warren will tell you how you can build predictable revenue in your speaking business. Then, Lois Kramer is in the VOE studio to demonstrate how you can get more business after each gig hope you have an iPad or yellow pad ready for notes. Let's get started. On today's episode of Voices of Experience, we have Sean Rhodes and Max Warren, who have been tracking 4,000 speaker sales calls, and they're here to share with us what they found does and doesn't work for speakers today. Thank you so much for joining us, Sean and Max.
1: Our pleasure, Crystal. Pleasure to be here.
0: So we're talking about building predictable revenue in our speaking business. I'm pretty sure any speaker who's listening to us right now is leaned into whatever device they're listening to (laughs) saying, how can I predict this? But I think we kind of have to start with the basics here. And I think the basics for most sales businesses or any business that has a sales component is CRM. So my first question to you would be, what is a CRM and why do speakers need one?
1: I'll start off as the keynote speaker between the two of us. Uh, CRMs were foreign to me when I opened my business because such or there's just not information taught about how do you run a business as a speaker and not being able to track prospects where they are in a a funnel or a pipeline or a sales stage makes it really difficult to know how much you're going to convert in any given period of time Mm -hmm. but yet the funny thing is in any other industry that's what they live and die by we've just Mm -hmm. never been taught this in the speaking world so taking a CRM, a customer relationship management system, if you invest in no other piece of software, assuming you're interested in generating revenue from your business, that's the way to go (laughs) but Max, um, how have you found it to be really helpful in tracking the results of speaking. You've got to have a way to
2: monitor these accounts, monitor where they are. And if you think of it in terms of the pipeline is the place where all of your accounts live, all of your opportunities, Mm -hmm. and what you're continuing to do is refine and qualify those accounts. And if you do it right and you manage it, the CRM becomes an enormous asset to your business as a speaker. It becomes where all of those touches and all of that information resides.
0: Well, and I'll add this to this because I think that maybe some people that are listening aren't as familiar with sales. Uh As, as some of us are in my past life I was a salesperson as well you know when you're thinking about that client who says, oh, we already booked our speaker for next year, and you just hang up the phone and think, oh, I'll try calling them in six months. Well, no, this is the type of information you put in your CRM. You ask uh-huh. them when they start planning again, uh-huh. if they mention something about a child's birthday or a favorite something. This is your repository for all that gold uh-huh. that can lead to future speaking engagements. And so I just wanted to add that in for anyone who's saying, okay, well, this sounds like sales talk, and they don't understand that this this is your bread and butter. This is uh-huh. how you have a standard. Business. Now, one of the things that you speak on with a lot of other speakers is multi-channel communications. Can you share a few that speakers should consider for their businesses?
1: Yeah, we should start by prefacing what multi-channel communications are, Mm -hmm. because that's an important thing. A lot of speakers believe that if they buy a list of 5,000 emails and they just blast out, do you hire speakers with a 0.03% response rate, that's enough for a good business. And there are some speakers making good money that way. I could never figure that out. (laughs) So what we began realizing was if we're trying to get the attention of people that have never heard of us before, they're being bombarded by messaging from a lot of speakers all day how do we get through that melee to get really that one focus sales conversation that we need so we can prevent or present value and find out what challenges they're trying to address with their event and so when we talk about multi-channel communication it's using every possible way of communication voice phone email zoom linkedin cards letters if carrier pigeons hadn't gone extinct we'd be tying little notes to these <laughs> birds and sending them out uh, Every way that you can think of to get in front of somebody, you should be leveraging and using it, and you can only manage that with a CRM. But, Max, how have we found that across more than 4,000 separate sales calls on the phone and tracking hundreds and hundreds of accounts, that multi-channel communication has made the difference?
2: The the tipping point comes frequently after you get beyond that third call. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is you are you have to stop thinking about it like you, the once and done mm-hmm. is really where you right. were going. I, I bought my magic list. I fired my magic email Now I just wait. Right. And that's not what you need. What you need is a compounded effect, a cumulative effect of all those channels and the same message because you're vying for their attention and their attention and their focus is on so many things at any given time. So just to get on their radar, just to get deep enough in an engagement, Mm -hmm. you've got to find a way to do it. And the best way to do it is you're sending an email, Mm -hmm. you're showing up in LinkedIn, you're following up with a voicemail and your persistence creates an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation and get deep enough in the conversation to really understand their business as the meeting planner or the senior director of education what outcome are you chasing Mm -hmm. and of course all that data then gets funneled right back into the account profile Mm -hmm. so that you've got a much clearer understanding and um, paying attention to what's working Um, if you notice someone's leaning into email and you're getting a lot of response Mm -hmm. you know that's their primary channel right Uh, that doesn't stop us from picking up the phone but we still want to be where they are
0: that makes sense so in this digital age and I speak on technology but I, I see this as well tell me if you've seen this especially in our industry, you mean it's not enough for us to just connect with decision makers on LinkedIn and then just post our articles all the time so that they'll eventually see oh. our genius and hire us? Only, only
1: if you like feast or famine in your business. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, because that's what happens. The right. phone might ring for a while when you get that really viral article, and then it's going to stop ringing. Well, the bills are going to come due at the same rate every month. That's but if the revenue's not there, you're not running a predictable business. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that actually brings us into my last question, mm-hmm. which is how can you predict revenue from unsigned contracts? we talk talking about... <laughs> predictable revenue. Yes,
1: absolutely. So we we track uh, hundreds of accounts, just about 500 accounts right now just for my business and Mm -hmm. across other speakers that we're helping out, hundreds of their accounts. The reason that we can predict revenue is we're doing things that no other speaker is taking the time to do, Mm -hmm. and that's discovering, like you mentioned, when... Are you going to be deciding on a keynote speaker? Even if it's not now, when is Mm -hmm. that going to be? And what's your historical budget? We ask those questions, and that lives in the CRM and flows with that account. So when it comes time for August, September, November, whenever they tell us they're going to be selecting keynote speakers, we know to reach out to these 10 accounts that are going to be buying speeches. We know what their budgets are going to be inside of a ballpark, and I know what my close ratio is on that type of business, where it's not inbound, it's outbound. So it's a lower close ratio than somebody picking up the phone, come talk, whatever your fee. It's different. Right. But with that, if there's 50, thousand dollars on the table and i know i have a 33 percent um, you know close ratio i know very predictably what i'm going to get month over month in closed business mm-hmm. because i'm taking the time to track those numbers
0: i think you just said something magical and it's something that we don't hear very often in this business and it's about tracking mm-hmm. you know i'm a big fan of tracking i forecast in my business mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. And it is something that is very much numbers-based, and so I definitely appreciate your sharing that with us. I think you also shared that you'll have a resource available.
1: Absolutely. The number one thing we found that speakers struggle with in setting up, whether they're running this off an Excel spreadsheet or a CRM, mm-hmm. is having quality prospects. Okay. Because if you're reaching out to people that have never brought in a speaker from outside their industry or they can't afford you, you're wasting your time. Right. So even a great effort, well done, is not going to yield results. So what we discovered was by sourcing prospects and putting them through filters, we use nine separate filters before any prospect is led into our pipeline, including who the decision maker is, when is their next event, who's Mm -hmm. spoken there in the past. If they've brought in Crystal Washington and I can find your fee, I know that I can pretty predictably ask for what they paid you last year. And that is invaluable when you're walking into a sales negotiation. So we will give that resource for any of the uh, NSA members that are listening to this recording right now. It's called the Nine Secrets of Speaker Prospect.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, that is amazing, Sean and Max. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your generosity in sharing that Sure. I know there are people right now that are chomping at the bit mm-hmm. to get their hands on it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Now that you understand how to leverage multi-channel communication and CRMs on the front end for predictable revenue, let's discover what you can do after a gig to generate additional opportunities. On this segment of Voices of Experience, we have Lois Kramer, who's been speaking to and working with speakers for over 21 years. Now, I am personally excited because I have had the experience of working with Lois in my own business. And so I know what she can do in terms of generating revenue and speaking businesses. I can think of no one better to talk to us about how we can get more business after the gig, Lois, thanks for joining us at
3: Voices of Experience. Thank you, and you said that introduction just as I wrote it, so I really appreciate you. <laughs> I do what I can for the people. Okay.
0: <laughs> so my first question is, you know, a speaker's at an event. They're being showered praise by the client and audience members. They're ladied about the talk. How can she or he take advantage of this moment to get more business?
3: You know, this is something I've really been emphasizing the last two years. Because I think too many times we go, uh, speakers go, they give a speech, everybody loves them. Mm -hmm. They go back to their office and think, wow, how can I do this again? Without really thinking strategically Just starting from scratch every time. Yes. And uh, that's not a good way to run your business, by the way. It's a good way to be run out of business. Oh, no. Um, But... Uh, you know, I talk about something that I call aftercare, Crystal. Okay. And it's what can I do to further the relationship with the client, to further the being, to be really be a resource mm-hmm. to the client instead of a, just a, a mere speaker. Mm-hmm. And so I am a big believer, and I did this when I did some sales programs for corporate early on. I would give my speech and then I would go back. To my office, and I would call the person who made the economic decision to bring me in. Okay, and I would say, you know, thanks for bringing me in. I love presenting with you, uh, for you, and I loved your group. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And then I would say this, this magic phrase: mm-hmm. Do you think it would make sense for me to work with your sales managers? To make sure they are going to actually use the ideas, tactics, and strategies that I discussed. Wow. Lend an element of accountability Mm -hmm. to bringing me in. Mm -hmm. And if it does make sense, we can talk about how we can make that happen. And of course, I was always for making it happen virtually. Okay. And so I'm talking about webinars. I would have sales meetings on back then Google Play or Google Talk, mm-hmm. now on Zoom, where you actually have these meetings with the sales managers. I said, Tell me what is working, what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, we had set up a couple of initiatives based upon what the company wanted to accomplish by bringing me in to begin with. And an interesting thing started happening when I did this. Okay. I started making more money on the back end than I did for the speech. Wow. And really, I started thinking of the speech almost as a showcase, Crystal. Okay. And now I enjoyed the speech. Right. But I loved seeing a group actually apply the information Mm -hmm. and really get some traction. Mm -hmm. And so that was fun. And it's one of those things I would challenge every speaker to think about. Mm -hmm. What is it that you can bring after your program, to be of an additional resource to this client. Um, Maybe a a webinar that um, gives additional information. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's having email access for 30 to 60 days on something you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like I did, have a video conference call with the managers, and I let them record it. So if one of them wasn't available, they could record it. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about becoming a resource instead of just a speaker or a consultant is that you're the person that they want to go to first when they have questions, and that's exactly mm-hmm. how you want to position yourself as the answer person. So, I, I not only am I a big believer in doing another speaking engagement, right? but I, I think we need to ask ourselves, what are the other ways I can serve? Mm-hmm. Creating other revenue streams then for our business besides standing on a platform, which by itself is not a good strategy right? right. Uh, in this day and time. And technology has made it so easy mm-hmm. to facilitate the kinds of things I'm talking about after the event. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I told you about it, I said, I, I, I'm asking, do you think it would make sense for us to actually apply this? That's a hard thing for somebody to say, no. No, no. No, we spent thousands to bring you in, but we wouldn't want to actually accomplish anything. It was just for giggles. Yeah, that's right. So so that's something I'm a big believer
0: in. Okay. You said something that really hit a button with me, Lois, and that's the fact that you said you scheduled this follow-up call with the person who made the economic decision to bring you in because that may not be the person who you worked on or worked on during the event itself the person who went through all the logistics with you who made all those little things happen that may not be the same person who wrote the check and signed on the dotted line so you're saying follow up with the decision maker yes not necessarily the person who you partnered with on the event
3: that's absolutely correct because what i want to what I am trying to appeal to the person who can sign the check. Okay. That's who I am wanting to appeal to. And typically in corporate, for example, Mm -hmm. that's going to be um, somebody on a VP level. Okay. And whatever topic you speak on, Mm -hmm. you're going to find the most likely decision maker in corporate would be the VP of sales. Okay. Regardless of topic. Okay. And so I'm going to whoever can sign the check speaking and engaging whoever that person wants me to. Right. And I would probably be inclined to copy the person who really was overall planning things for me. Okay. To let them know. I just think it's a professional courtesy. Right. You don't want to leave them out. No. because You don't know how important they are to the decision. Right. You never know. Right. So I think, uh, I think including people in is, okay. is always a great idea. Plus, this person could be a real advocate after working with you on this meeting. Okay. And never underestimate the value of having an in-house advocate
0: that is a powerful statement now that the event's over can you share maybe two to three tactics a speaker can use to get more business from that least last piece of business
3: yes i think that first of all you want to remind them why you were there why they hired you in the first place okay so, obviously, this goes back into qualifying when you originally talked to this person mm-hmm. and asking a simple question like, what do you want to accomplish by having me with you? Okay. Because we might have an idea of what we want them to accomplish, mm-hmm. but key is what that person who's writing the check wants us to accomplish. That's true. And hopefully it's going to be a, both. Both will be valued. Right. So when I'm having a follow-up call, I want to say, how did you feel? Did I do what you wanted to do? Were we able – you know, Crystal, I say people are hiring us Mm -hmm. to move the needle in some way. Okay. They're hiring us to either increase engagement, productivity, profitability, or shareholder value. I think broadly that covers just about everything. Right. So you want to remind them uh, your message. You want to remind them the importance that they relayed to you, why they're bringing you in. And then you just want to drive home, what could this look like if you actually applied this? People understood it fully. And they were capable of doing exercises beyond the speech mm-hmm. that will really make this part of the culture. You know, you're not going to be part of the culture if you stand on the platform, you give people good ideas, and you go away. Right. Which, which has been something a, a lot of people do. Right. I'm always real high content. Okay. And so I'm never going to assume that everybody's going to remember everything I said. Okay. But I want, if I can, to take some responsibility for making sure some behavior is changed. Mm-hmm. I move Moving the needle in some way, right? And um, I, I think that most people who make decisions to bring you in will appreciate that. My sense is that they welcome the idea uh, of this, and you know, even if somebody says, no, we're not interested in going farther with you." At least try and engage them. Uh, I write a blog that would be very, uh, could be very meaningful for your group. May I send it to you and share it with your employees? This is how you create spin. This is how you create word on the street. And it's how you create a reminder that they brought you in and what a difference you made for the future. Now for a
0: word from one of our sponsors. Let me ask you
2: something. Are you sick of the ebb and flow of revenue in your business? Are you tired of not having a process you can prioritize every day that guarantees results and scalability? What about all of the technology that's not working for you? Speakerflow is the only company geared towards helping speakers achieve predictable revenue by leveraging technology to get organized, get known, and get paid. Whether it's our CRM, consulting, or our mansion retreats, we've got you covered. Stop by Speakerflow.com to schedule a free discovery call today.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. Catch us on your favorite podcast app, YouTube, and NSA's social media profiles. Tune in for next week's episode, Balancing Act.